Welcome to the Perspective Maintenance Podcast, where we approach topics from different perspectives to help us get unstuck. I'm John Chow, and my goal is to help you see that your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. You feel like there's something more you want to do with your life, and it's so big, it's scary. And if you doubt yourself, don't worry, you're not alone. Most of my clients did too. I have successfully coached people who didn't think they could find a way forward because I have perspectives that most people don't see and insights that most people don't have. I know that for you to live your best days ahead, all it takes is some continual perspective maintenance. Welcome to the concluding two episodes of season three. And I'm really excited for you to listen to this conversation today because it is something that is going to go against your programming and likely make you feel very uncomfortable. And I know this because it makes me feel uncomfortable, or at least it brings back really uncomfortable memories. Today, we're going to talk about challenging norms. And the incredible thing about norms is that they were created at one point by somebody or a group of people. And likely the norms that you have right now, they were also created by somebody. You may have norms that were imposed onto you as a child, thinking that that is the way that you're supposed to think. And also it's the way that everybody else in your community thinks. And if you don't think the way that your community thinks, and then there will be some social repercussions. So today I brought on Diana de Cabrera, and she is going to talk to us about how what it means to challenge norms. It's going to be a two-part episode because the first part is going to be what it means to challenge norms. And then the second part is going to be how to successfully challenge norms. And she's going to give us three really, really good tips on that. So I... Because I want your best days to be ahead of you, I really want you to think about this topic a lot. It is not too late to challenge some norms. You have a future ahead of you where you can do things that you may want to do, and it may go against the grain of how you were raised or the people around you, but that is not what's important. What's important is what's in your heart and what you know could be ahead if you chose to pursue a certain path that's a little bit different. And that's what I'm going through right now. I'm going to share an episode soon. I went to Dr. Joe Dispenza's week-long advanced retreat, and some of these things really go against the grain of some of my friends. And they may think that I am a little bit out of my head because of what I believe and what I'm choosing to do with my time and what how I believe in what our bodies can do. So look forward to that episode as well. But without further ado, here is our episode with Diana. Welcome back to the Perspective Maintenance Podcast. Today, I have a friend, a peer, and also a listener. Diana reached out to me after listening to one of the guiding principles and said that she wanted to come on and talk about one of them because there is just so much to talk about and getting to know Diana and her perspective on the way that she's living her life. I have gained a new perspective on so many things learning from her. So I figured that all of you would also learn a lot. Diana, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course, there's nothing like being in a community. And this is why I feel like it's so cool. Being in a community isn't just finding people who are like you. 
and then saying we're in community together, but it's about being with people who are not like us and then having our thinking challenged in one way, which we talked a little bit about in the very last episode of the Guiding Principles. And so I really appreciate the different perspectives that you have, which is why I got to learn a bunch. You're so welcome. And you are welcome to challenge my thinking anytime. (laughs) Well, I think this is where it becomes really cool. Diana and I had agreed on talking about norms and how norms affect us. And as soon as she brought it up, I have a special place in my heart about questioning norms, not because I'm a rebel per se. I actually grew up as a very much a goody two shoes, like everything needs to be done in a certain way because I was so caught up with being accepted by either a teacher or our community by following norms. And then I realized that the norms didn't always serve me so well when I got older. So when Diana brought this up, I'm like, yes, we need to talk about this because it's so cool. And just for you guys to know, Diana is very much in the ethos of education, of home education, and she sees things in a very unique perspective of it's not about necessarily needing homeschool, but just seeing how education can be so beneficial to children in so many different ways beyond our traditional view of education. So we're definitely going to talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. And I feel it's important to share our story of how we came upon to questioning norms, because just like you, I was also following the norms. I was given the rules of the game by my father were that I had to win at every grade in school. And to win at every grade, I had to win summer breaks as well. (laughs) So there was there was this clear direction and expectation of how I won the game of school. And I wanted so much to please my parents that I also became someone who followed the norms and wanted to be a good daughter. And it was only later in life, I remember very vividly reading an article that impacted me so much because it literally stated the ways in which women specifically in the workplace were not able to show up and contribute to the workforce, how the ways in which we were conditioned to people please and to do good and be good and create this person who became the embodiment of a good daughter. Then later in education, we became the good students and so on, eventually really denied us of the ability to innovate and to share ideas openly and confidently. And it was shown in the article that women were less likely to speak up and to ask for races and to Mm. lead. And so when I read this, I saw myself so, so much. It really created a shift for me And when then I became a mother, it became an imperative, became the why of why I'm here was that within my control, I would not allow the story to repeat itself with my daughter. Mm. Well, I mean, what's really cool is that you're not allowing the story to repeat itself within you and your daughter gets to see that. So her own very personal role model that she sees day in and day out, you are exemplifying to her what it means to critically think, be authentic to yourself, and to most importantly, love learning. And I think what has really been lost in what has happened with this desire to get good grades is that my desire was to have a specific outcome. It wasn't a love to learn. 
And learning is messy. Learning is trial and error. Learning is doing something for the sake of doing it and then knowing that I can do it differently later. But grades doesn't let us do that. <laughs> grades tells us that we need to get the answer right the very first time, show all of my, let's say we're doing talking about math, show all of my steps in a very specific way, which the teacher prefers to be done, and then I will get my grades. And outside of that, once I'm done this, then, I mean, maybe it was just me as a little boy, I finished my lesson for the day and I was kind of like, great, I'm going to go play outside now or play video games or do something else. It wasn't just, oh, let me go and learn something else now because I enjoy learning so much. I compartmentalized and separated my love of learning to other things besides my education, which I'm realizing now as an adult is completely backwards. Now I love being wrong. I like learning different things and seeing different perspectives. A part of me wishes I had a chance to be kind of like Pippa, where I was given chances to just explore and do things with the right kind of parent who understood learning in a certain way. But also, it's never too late. <laughs> so I'm very thankful for I mean, I guess both of us is our experiences that brought us to where we are today for intentionality, isn't it? Absolutely. And I want to honor everybody's experience, right? If you had a similar experience, I think I saw it in two different ways, the way that it played out. I was like you, compartmentalizing my learning, you know, trying to follow the rules and the expectations. And then my brother, I saw my brother take a completely different road and he was much more irreverent and he denied <laughs> the imposition of the rules and the expectations. And I looked up to him for that. I thought that was amazing. But it, interestingly enough, later in life, he eventually became more traditional in the way that he saw. And so he also, even though he was trying to become him, his, his own person and couldn't necessarily, was con constantly trying to please, but then also rebel, then later in life, he adopted those same traditional norms. And so I see how interesting that is, that even though we can take very different paths in childhood, eventually we might still need to question the way in which we're doing what we're doing if we see it impact negatively in our lives. And I want to be very clear about this because it shouldn't be a what's right, what's wrong. Okay, well, if this is the norms around learning that I've learned and the, the educational system has enforced all my life. Well, are these wrong? No, it's not about what's right or wrong. It's about how does that affect me and my own process of discovery of who I really am? Mm. And how, did, how do I see that impacting my children and the upcoming generations? You're so right. Well, first of all, I had no idea that we were so similar. I feel like we're like twins because I have the same thing. I have an older brother. He's five years older. When we were little, he was ultra creative. He would be able to make these beautiful scenery of things out of Play-Doh or like clay. And I remember playing Lego with him. And essentially all I was good for was to be his little helper, to help him find little pieces while he created a Batman collection or whatever that was. And I always looked to him as a creative free thinking person and yet somehow along the way he became much more risk adverse and structured in his mind and now I'm completely more the creative person in some ways it's so interesting to see that there is a certain element of 
what you just said about the same education. Like, so this is what I find so cool. It's not about what's right or what's wrong. I totally agree with you, Diana. Two people can go through the same educational system and turn out completely differently because it's not about the system. Just like two people can go through the same upbringing of the same parents, but turn out completely differently. But it's about our approach to speak to ourselves to say, hey, is this serving me? And I really, really like that. What's your take then on the norm of education and what your thoughts are on that? Well, there's various norms. And I think the the biggest takeaway that I can share here is that if we look back at the history of how these norms were put into place, it, it becomes very helpful. And if I may, I'd like to tell you the story, how I experienced it. Sure, please. So education became a good idea around the Industrial Revolution. And there was this lovely man called Frederick Taylor, and he was at a steel company working for, he was one of the workers, one of the employees there. And he would notice that the way in which the production was running, the management team were running things were, was less than ideal. So he came up with these ideas and these eventually became the norms that we implemented in the workplace and in education. And he put his hand up and said, well, what if we time this task? What if we create different shovels to pick up the steel? What if we do all these things to make it more efficient and eventually create more profit? So it became a system of norms that was operating to help the system, right? The company had these systems in place and had processes and procedures that would help every employee. And in order to instill that behavior within the workers, it was important for them as leaders and managers to start to measure and start to look at how the productivity of each person was going so that they could tweak it and align it to serve that ultimate goal, which was the profit, the system, the company's goal. And in fact, in his time, he said that the system was coming first and that the individual would have to come second. So that was the beginning of when we started to see a departure from focusing on the self and prioritizing the self, connecting with the self, what it is that we want, how we decide, have full sovereignty and be true to ourselves and began working instead for someone else and the system external to us. And this was over a hundred years ago. And his methods went on to instill in other areas as well in other industries. So including the educational system. So now the educational system has a group of people similar to the workplace and all these group of people, individuals have to move through the system in an efficient way, which is why we need to organize the people within it and create certain rules and expectations of them so that we can move peacefully <laughs> through the system and churn out quote-unquote, educated individuals at the end. Of course, that's a simplified version of the story, but just knowing that there are roots behind us in the past, that every single norm that we adopt, whether it's in education or any other area in our life, has a history. I think it's really helpful for us to understand and begin to create that awareness of questioning why we come from where we come from why we do the things the way we do them. And then to begin to identify, okay, which of these things are not necessarily working for me anymore? And then begin to take our power back so that the focus can now, because we can, because we're living in a privileged time, 
to place a focus back on ourselves, back on the individual. We no longer have to serve the system. And the more that we do that, I feel like the more connected we can be with what truly inspires us so that we can go out into the world, not only ourselves, like you're saying, as adults, role modeling to the children and next generations, but the children themselves don't have to go through the process of having to <laughs> work their way through all the mess of who do I need to be? What are the expectations? What are the rules of who I need to be in the world? And come back to themselves so that more quickly, more efficiently, which is what Taylor wanted, we can start to enact change in the world. Mm. It's so fascinating, Diana, because a system was created out of a response of the current situation. Frederick Taylor questioned the norms of how they were doing things before and then therefore created a new norm. And this is just a constant cycle, which I really love this conversation because let's say before the Industrial Revolution, families were doing life by a certain profession, then the norms would have just been a parent teaching a child what they needed to learn in their profession in order to continue that profession later. Or there were norms of, let's say, men knowing how to hunt or things like that in order to stay alive. And there was the norms of all of these different things. And then the environment changed and then the norms also changed. And the irony of it right now is that in the time and place and environment that we're in, we're, we are taking on and we still taken on the norm that has been created from back when Frederick Taylor or, and others who created this, instead of being like, oh, our environment is different now. Let's question just like he did how to do things differently so that we can build on top of that. And it's very interesting because we still very much have that mindset. Okay, a lot of companies would say, you have a piece of paper from the school that says that you know these things, therefore I want to offer you a job versus being like, oh, are you a critical thinker? Do you know how to handle situations? Do you have emotional intelligence? Are you intelligent socially? There are all these things that are so much more important than necessarily what this piece of paper tells us. And yet our society has been quite caught up with that framework for a very long time. Absolutely. What's really interesting, and we were talking a little bit about this, anybody who hasn't had a chance to listen to this yet, there is an episode of Brene Brown's podcast, Dare to Lead, where she interviews Simon Sinek. And his newest book, The Infinite Game, is, has been probably one of my favorite of his. And Diana and I had a chance to both enjoy that episode recently. And I think so much about the psychology of things because a lot of the times we hold on to norms or I know I hold on to norms because I feel good about it. And I was thinking about this in preparation for this interview, you know, as a toddler, and this is why it's both, it's kind of hilarious, but also kind of painful at the same time. Toddlers or children love to watch the same movies over and over and over again, or like to do the same things over and over and over again because there's a certain mastery of it and they feel good about having that mastery. So they want to keep doing it versus doing something new. It's almost too much stimul stimulation for them. And we've almost adopted that into now the education system to says, oh, okay, I know how to solve this math problem in this way. But then if things were variables were changed and the similar math problem was presented, but the things are out of order, then all of a sudden our brains don't know how to handle it because we're so used to thinking about things with one specific approach. And so Simon talks about 
the infinite game versus a finite game. And the finite game is, okay, this is what you need to do and know and how to approach this thing in order to get a good grade on this test. So the finite game's result would be getting a good grade on a test. And the infinite game is looking at learning from a, highly, a higher perspective and say our whole life is meant to be for learning. If we only know how to do things in a very rigid way, then we'll get stuck when problems arise that are slightly different than what you're used to encountering. Whereas if we have a love of learning and realize that learning is infinite and we're constantly going to be learning, then we're not going to be in this place where we feel like we've graduated from whatever. And now I can stop learning and just do certain things, which I feel like is probably one of the most dangerous things that could ever happen to us. Mm, yes. And I remember, as you were saying, the piece of paper. I remember when I got that piece of paper, <laughs> I played the finite game of rules and expectations of education to win at education because that's what I was trained. I was told if you win education, you're set for life. You become a professional, you have this degree, you present it, you're good, you're set for life. There's no problems, right? It was very a pain adverse, a risk averse path, the, the game. It was self-preservation within it. And I received that paper. I remember the day that I, I got it. And it was the first time that I could explain the feeling of emptiness that I had when I had it in my hands. And I remember calling a good friend of mine and saying, I'm supposed to be feeling fulfilled. I've got it. I worked so hard. I remember I was studying full-time for my courses. I paid for my own education and I was working full-time as well. So there was no room for enjoyment and learning outside of the finite gain that I was provided. And I lived this way for a long time, even after I received the the paper and I questioned why was I feeling so empty it took me nearly a decade <laughs> for me to realize all of the nuances that we're discussing so I want to bring a lot of compassion for the way in which norms are internalized as beliefs that feel so important and so worthy and we want to be loyal to the ways that we're taught we should operate and you know, we have that loyalty. We don't want to let people down, especially the people that are close to us and love us. So it is a very courageous move to begin to question how the norms impact us. So that, as you said, we don't fall into the dangerous aspect of completely losing ourselves, completely losing joy for life. And in my experience, life never allowed me to play the finite game. I was trained for it, but I spent from the time that I received my degree <clears throat> till now, I've spent a decade and a half not being able to play the finite game, not being able to reach the next step or climb the ladder. I, it was always closing down on me. <clears throat> and I didn't know why. I knew that I have the ability. I knew that I have the skills. I knew that I was intelligent, innovative, creative enough. But it was almost like the universe was saying, no, <laughs> this, this is not the work <laughs> that you're going to be doing. And it was only, I have to say, it was only through the blessing of my daughter that I was able to really begin to embody a liberation because she became such a priority for me mm. that it, and in practical ways, she stopped me from trying to want to achieve and win at the game. By being present, you know, I needed to take care of her and she, my love for her 
was so big that finally I took the steps to be involved, present, available in my relationship with her. And everything that I do now is based around the love, trust, and respect that I create in my relationship with her, not only with her, but with everyone around me, which is an infinite game. Is the, the, as you were saying, the messiness of relationships, mm. the discovery of ourselves within the relationship, mm-hmm. allowing the surprise element, reducing those rules and expectations so that we can allow for the true self to be who we are in relationship to others. That's so beautiful and, and well said. And I'm seeing that on your social media, you show your interactions with your daughter and the way that you approach learning for her has been very inspirational to me because it's very well thought out. And I heard this thing maybe like a day or two ago, which is almost kind of perfect. Right now we're talking about questioning norms. And I really am so grateful that you brought in the thought of compassion because it's one thing to talk about questioning norms or creating new norms for ourselves but the actualities of it is very different the reality of changing our norms is actually very probably emotionally and socially painful the thought that I heard in the last couple days which I thought was really interesting is people say to each other oh do you want to have a kid and the irony is that having a kid is not doesn't take very long to to make one you know however long that session lasts The real question is, do you want to raise a kid? Because having a kid is from conception to maybe birth, and then there's a nine month and whatnot. But raising a kid is a completely different dedication. And so a lot of times when a guy says to a girl or a girl says to a guy, hey, do you want to have a kid? Having the kid is not necessarily the best question to ask. And when we're talking about norms, you know, we're saying, oh, do you want to question your norms? You know, do you want to challenge your norms? And it's such an easy question to ask. But what people don't realize is the painful, like, for example, let's say I do choose to question my norms, which I have. I grew up in an environment where all of my friends and that community all followed one way of thinking and seeing things. And when I decided to question my norms and to see things differently, I became a black sheep when I was at one point, the golden child, you know, I was the person that was so celebrated and was able to be on stage and to lead the community in one sense. I then became this person who was a black sheep because I chose to question my norms. I chose to see things differently and question things that I didn't fully agree with. And that meant removing myself from an environment that I had spent 10 years developing friendships with that at one point as a young adult, I I would look at myself and be like, oh, great, I don't have any friends now. I don't have any, you know, close people now because I chose to question my norms and that was threatening to the other people. And therefore now we didn't have things in common and what kept us together is no longer keeping us together and I have to build a new life for myself now. That's really hard. So I appreciate that you talked about the, the compassion for ourselves while we're going through this to not be so hard on ourselves or other people. You know, if somebody has a different perspective than us, we can either be like, wow, you're stupid. (laughs) Or we can be like, oh, that's so interesting that you see things this way. 
can I learn more? And then do you mind if I share with you what I'm thinking about it and have this compassionate conversation about the differences that we have versus being very much kind of like, wow, what an inferior way of looking at things. <laughs> but that compassion element is so crucial. And then for our listeners to realize, hey, you can choose to change your norms if you want to. The changing part of it will be difficult enough already. But after changing it, there are other challenges that come and it's very, very difficult. But I do have to say that I have never felt more purposeful in my life than going through that period. Probably was a five-year period of losing all of my friends, losing everything that I've ever known, building things from scratch, figuring out who I am. But now I have a different community and I've met people like yourself, Diana, who I feel so strongly aligned with in different ways, even though we do think differently on different things. And I've never felt more purposeful, but that journey of getting from one place to the other was extremely emotionally painful and definitely not for the faint in heart. So it's important to see things more clearly and not just talk about how changing norms, how great changing norms could be without discussing the difficulties of it. I agree. As you said, it's not for the faint of heart. It's courageous. It's bold. It's saying yes to taking accountability for that decision that we made when we decided to have children. It's never too late. It is possible to start from now. And it is also, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. The fulfillment, it's a powerful journey that in some ways, yes, you have to begin to do by yourself. And I experienced a similar feeling when we decided to move away from standard education. What happens usually when we start to make a stand for ourselves, when we set a boundary and essentially we say, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm not participating with this dynamic, with this pattern, with this norm anymore, because I'm going to begin honoring what feels good for me and for my family. There will be pushback. A mentor of mine called it boundary backlash. You state your boundary, you'll, you might receive backlash. People are not going to like that you're diverting from the norm. The norm is enforced because it makes people feel safe. It makes us feel secure. We have a, a feeling, a kind of feeling of belonging that you so well described that feels good. And everybody's walking and marching in the same direction. It's predictable. It's easy. It's finite. Right? And then the moment that we step out of that, I did experience the boundary backlash. And I had to confront my fear of being abandoned, which wasn't pretty. <laughs> it involved doing a lot of time journaling and expressing my feelings and really empowering myself and reparenting myself and saying, it, it is worth it for, because you're valuable because you matter. Mm. And so and so there are processes, people, resources and tools that we can look for and that's often when we make the choice of starting, the journey will appear in the path on the path and we can say okay, I can feel temporarily alone or abandoned, but I have other people around me that can support me in this stage of life, in what I want to do now, in the way that I'm walking on a different path and choosing a different direction, there is still a lot of that. And we can grow and continue to evolve. And then 
realign to other people who eventually like you feel good to be around with. Mm-hmm. There's a certain element of depth that you talked about so brilliantly because we were raised essentially into our community and there wasn't much of a choice. It wasn't like, oh, I am choosing for these people to be my community. We were brought into it and we self-identify with them and we desire belonging with them. And you talked about abandonment and the fear of that and how much inner work is required to do that, which is so, so, so important. And I think every element of adulthood is so connected to the need for us to actually decide things for ourselves. And there's a certain comfort in doing things that were decided for us. And yet we can't fully say that we are our own person even though we belong to a community, it's a choice of us choosing to be in that community. We are deciding that for ourselves. And I am a really big factor of that when it comes to religion. You know, a lot of people are born into a religion and they self-identify with that because they want to keep belonging to those people because they are important to them. And I believe that a true follower of a certain religion does not just follow that because they were brought up to But now as an adult, they're deciding to do that. And when they do that, it is full of integrous desire to say, I am doing this for myself and then choosing to be in that community. And so I really appreciate you talking so much about the desire for us to decide for ourselves as an adult. How do we want to approach life? How do I want to approach parenting? How do I want to approach learning? And then being able to provide the next generation the thought related to that. You had shared with me before recording a couple of steps that would be really helpful for people if they're listening right now and they want to figure out their relationship with their norms and what to do about it. I really liked how you broke it down. And so we're going to share that with all the listeners. And if you're listening and this really identifies with you, then take these steps that Diana and I are sharing and reach out. I mean, I'll share information for Diana later of how you can find her reach out to her if there's questions, because really we're all in this thing called life together. And I love that you brought out that you had a mentor and probably several in your life in various ways, as have I. And we also love to be able to support others as well. 